0: Welcome to all of you who are online as well. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, yeah, I, I'm privileged to be able to take us across the finish line of 1 Corinthians. Like, we've been in this a long time, right? It's been months in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going we're to sail across the finish line today. So if you've got your Bible, if you could join me in 1 Corinthians 16, the very last chapter. Um, man, you guys, as I started reading through 1 Corinthians 16, it seems a little random, like quick bullet points, almost disconnected things, and you get the idea that he's, he's running out of time, running out of room, whatever, and it made me think of, like, these guys that were just up on the stage, uh, every time I, I head over back to Africa, um, most of the time that I have gone, I've been completely out of touch with anybody back here, and so I got to think, okay, what needs to happen in the span of time that I'm gone? So it's simple things like making sure I cancel the newspaper or whatever. But to way more important things, like a lot of times I'll call each one of my kids and let them, let them know that I love them so that should anything happen and not, not make it back, that they know that they're secure, that I love them so much kind of a thing. So things great or small that just have to be done before I leave. You get that idea from the Apostle Paul as he closes off 1 Corinthians, just these rapid fire things. And, and some of it, you guys, is also that in the first century, uh, papyrus or whatever he was writing on... It was very precious, and so you only had a fixed amount of that. You couldn't just run down to Staples and get more of it, right? So, so he's probably seeing the end of whatever it is he's writing on. Maybe his, his writing is getting smaller as he goes, you know, but he wants us to hear some things. Here, here's my appeal to you this morning. There's been a lot through First Corinthians, a lot coming at us. Um, even though this last chapter has some quick little bullet points, don't be fooled into thinking it's, it's just kind of a postscript, maybe just an addition to the more weighty things. I think there's some stuff, even in these last moments before he stops writing to us, that man, we need to lean in and ask God to, to help us, and, and maybe some of the most important lessons we learn from the whole book are going to be found right here at the very end. I think that's possible, okay? So let me start off verse 1. Because what he's going to be doing is talking about this collection that he's going to be taking from Corinth to help what's going on back in Jerusalem where there's uh, some some tragedy, actually, and some some real need back in Jerusalem. But here's what he says, and and it's going to be under this banner, I think, of, of letting them know they need to give faithfully. They need to give faithfully, and I think that's what we need to hear as well. Here's what he says. Now, about the collection for the saints. Hey, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, and here's his instructions, here's what he tells the churches, like in Galatia, now to Corinth. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he's prospering so that no collection will need to be made when I come. And then when I arrive, I'll, I'll send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. It's, if it's suitable for me to go as well, then they'll travel, travel with me. Now again, that might seem kind of like travel itinerary, but... I think there's something really important here. And I love, you guys, I love Paul's just kind of straightforward manner. Like he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to gloss it over. Nor is he going to be heavy and oppressive with it. It's just very matter-of-fact language. No gimmicks. No soft-selling, but no heaviness. Guys, here's what he's telling the Corinthians and what we need to hear. The ongoing just habit of the follower of Christ is to give generously toward the ongoing work of God in this world. That's, that's just to be our, our impulse, our, our habit. The most natural thing we do is to continue to generously just participate, really. Share together, participate in what God's doing. Right there in verse 2 is, is a very tight, succinct, straightforward way to think about it. One of, one of the guys that I read up uh, as I'm journeying through a book helped me to see this. Just in verse 2, it's to be done regularly, universally, systematically, etc. Let me, let me explain how he does that. First line there, on the first day of the week. So this idea of giving regularly. So here's the deal. Guys, all of us are gathered here on Sunday morning. That's been going on since the days of the Corinthian church, and here's why. It used to be that the people of God gathered on the seventh day of the week, on Saturday, Sabbath day. But what happened that shifted everybody to start worshiping on the first day of the week? The resurrection of Jesus, right? Everything we just learned in chapter 15, the resurrection of Jesus happened on the first day of the week. And so the followers of Christ, the faithful in God, started worshiping on the first day to commemorate the resurrection. So he's saying, hey, as you regularly gather every first day of the week, make this giving part of that ongoing rhythm. Next thing, do it universally, each of you, he says. Here's the weird thing when it comes to volunteering for stuff and even when it comes to giving. We have this uh, default mindset, well, oh man, I'm glad somebody else in the room is, is really doing that because we need that. Man, that's, that's for somebody else in the room. Here's what Paul is saying in, in uniformity with the rest of the scripture. This is for all of us, guys. Universally, God's people are to follow this. So, when you're journeying through the Bible, you see examples of guys like Barnabas in the book of Acts. When you see Barnabas in Acts, I think it's chapter two right away, at the forming of the church, they're gathering funds to keep the work going. And Barnabas apparently is a fairly wealthy guy because he's able to sell a chunk of land and bring all the proceeds to give to this thing. And they celebrate that. And it's so encouraging, they actually change his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Well, Very few people in the first century were were actually landowners and could do something like that. But he did that. But he's not the only kind of guy that gives. Do you remember, I was just, I just read this in the book of Luke this last week, you guys. Um, Sometimes when Jesus would take his disciples to the temple, this happened a couple different times, um, the disciples would get all enamored with the temple itself. Remember these moments where they're like, Jesus, check this place out. Is this amazing? at you how know, massive those blocks are that get stacked up and look at all the ornament look at the gold look at all the isn't this amazing you know he's like oh yeah yeah actually let me point out something i'm seeing jesus said in this one part remember what he saw he goes he sees this this poor widow going and putting her offering in the offering box you know they're looking at all the grandeur and all the splendid aspects of it he goes actually you know what i see just this poor widow giving out of her poverty. He's like, that's what I see in the midst of all this. My point is this. All of us are to give. Whether you can give lavishly or a little bit, it's universally God catch God's attention by, by jumping in to participate in the work. The next or just systematically set something aside and save. In other words, don't just wait till the last minute. Oh, shoot, do I have anything? I don't know if I do. You know, no. The way that you get your income and then think, okay, now I've got to pay my rent. I've maybe got a car payment. I've got, you know, these, these bills coming up. Just, just recently, I was like, oh, quarterly payments for taxes. Oh, I got to make sure I've got what it takes to write. In the same way, systematically set something aside, save it so that it's not some knee-jerk reaction or it's if I happen to have something left over, make it a part of the rhythm of how you're giving. And then he says this though, right alongside that, proportionally. He says, in keeping with how he is prospering. Guys, this isn't, again, some rocket science. This isn't difficult. It's just as God provides, turn around and give so for instance in our household I get paid once a month so every month I give out of that well my wife is a realtor and so she sometimes doesn't get paid at all sometimes does get paid and so but every time she gives get gets something in her and then we give to God's work right so just proportionally just as God gives then you give back but I love this last one give freely here's how he ends that that verse So that no collection will need to be made when I come. He goes, guys, I don't want you giving because I'm standing there hawking over you. I don't want you giving out of compulsion. I don't want you to give because I'm there kind of putting the guilt trip on you. Do this between you and God. Get that all done. So when I come, it's just up to me to help you guys get it to where it's supposed to go. That's the only role I want to have. I don't want to play the heavy in this. Do this because you're a follower a follower of Christ. And guys, all of that is anchored in the massive chapter that he's just concluded, right? There weren't chapters, he didn't stop and put a big number, 16, and then start writing the next verse. This all flows out of what he's just said in chapter 15, and at the end of 15, look at what he said. Look at how we ended chapter 15. But thanks be to God, he says, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor is not uh, in vain in the Lord. So even like Mark had talked about last week, guys, the reason he's able to quickly and just pretty easily, matter-of-factly, go into this whole thing and give, and he goes, guys, you know that the reason we give is out of gratitude. We join Paul in saying, thanks be to God, we just sang those songs before, before this and just, we give our, our souls an opportunity to say, thanks be to God. Jesus, you gave it all. You gave your very life. I can certainly give proportionately, right? And you know what else I think the resurrection does to help me be free to give? The resurrection reminds me that, frankly, it's all going to burn. Like everything that I have right here, right now, it's all going to burn, right? Right? He, he keeps using the, the words, especially toward the end of 1 Corinthians 15, it's all corruptible versus the incorruptible of post-resurrection life. Everything I have, even my very body, it's all going to go. It's all going to burn. It's all going to decay. Man, I just want to be so focused on the eternal of what God is going to do in the resurrection life that everything I have just kind of fuels that long, eternal, great future that he's building for all of us. So I just want to say pastorally, and then we're going to move on to what else he has to say in this last chapter. But guys, if you have not yet made it your habit to give back to God's work, man, just take that to Jesus. Like Paul, I don't want to play the heavy. I don't want you doing anything out of compulsion because I'm hawking over you. It's between you and Jesus and find the joy of being able to say, Thanks be to God, and you have rocked my world, my soul, and even the things I have in my hands so much, I'll never be the same. Just join him in that, right? Okay, then he goes on, because the next thing he is gonna tell us, I call it live open-handedly. Now, when I say live open-handedly, I don't mean money anymore. He's already talked about that. I mean live open-handedly in losing control of your life in a, in a healthy, beautiful way. Look at what he says in verse Five, He says, I'll come to you after I pass through Macedonia for I'll be traveling through Macedonia and perhaps I'll remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to go to you just now, just in passing, since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I'm I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many oppose me. Let me explain what I'm saying by, by urging us to live open-handedly. See the way that Paul uses language all the way through that alerts the Corinthians that he's actually not fully in control of his travel schedule? Perhaps I'm going to come if the Lord allows. I'd like to do this, right? He's he's couching it all. Guys, that wars so much against somebody like me. I am such a control freak. And and I don't know. How many of you in the room would classify yourself as control freak? Actually, it's probably better to ask somebody that knows you if they would classify you as a control freak safely. Everybody in my family would point at me and say, yes, control freak. So it even happened this way. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Tracy and I were able to get away for a little bit. And I had pre-planned everything, pre-paid, it was all set. Like I had controlled everything so that I could relax and enjoy and not control everything. Well, Right off the bat, right away, we get to the place where we were going to rent a car, and we stood there for three hours through this, just, right? I can hear that. Oh, right? Those are all the control freaks in the room right there joining me in that moment. Are you kidding me? Right? Because, here's the deal, I had it planned. I did my part. I was, wait, I, I got the reservation. Are these, I don't know who these people are, but I, you know, so maddening. Guys, this happens to me in greater and smaller ways all the time, and I'm saying, if you're in that category, you need to hear the way that Paul is talking to the Corinthians about his travel plans. Because often, guys, things don't go the way we want them to. Shocker. We have this expectation that if I do my part, if I control everything, it should go my way. Well, guys, um, sometimes a curveball comes our way, and it's not the person behind the counter, It's not somebody else to blame. Actually, God is the one throwing that curveball. And are you ready to receive that? Are you ready to let God throw the curveball that you didn't see coming? I, guys, I want us to practice. If you're a control freak and you know who you are, I want you to practice this with me. Every time you go to make a plan from now on, I want you to say, if God wills. Force yourself to say, if God wills. Now, it's not just here. I want you to see this in the book of James, okay? In the book of James chapter four, there's this passage that apparently James had been talking to Paul about this because it's remarkably close. James chapter four, verse 13 says this. Come now, you who say, hey, today or tomorrow, we're gonna travel, go to such and such a city, spend a year there, do business, make a profit. Look, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. Look, you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and then just vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Now, look at that. This isn't just, that's not a good way to live. No, no, no. You're boasting in your arrogance and all such boasting, it's not just an alternate way to live. It's evil. <laughs> okay? Man, if, if you're one of the guys here, uh, actually, Brian Dermody is going to be taking uh, any man that wants to this summer through the whole book of James. There's a lot of this kind of stuff in there. Here's what I'm saying. When it comes to this controlling stuff, it's evil. Don't candy coat it. Don't make it something less than it is. It's evil to think that you have to be in control of every facet of your life. So I, I decided to read through the book of Ecclesiastes. You guys read through the book of Ecclesiastes? Just full of, you know, happy thoughts. Um, so I got to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Look at this in verse 11. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. There will be no remembrance by those who follow them. Well, there's a way to start your day, Right? <laughs> Just charge into the day with that one, right? Here's what, it's so good though. Here's why Ecclesiastes is in our Bibles. You don't matter that much. You don't. Why do you think you're so important? And not only are you so important, but everything in this day is so important that it's got to get done. No, the more we embrace the Ecclesiastes truth that nobody cares. You don't matter that much. What it allows me to do is say, actually, the most important thing, Jesus, is you and what you have in store for me and the changes that are coming my way. Maybe those are from your hand and I need to roll with it and I need to embrace it because you are God and I am not, even though I keep trying to be God of my life and my world and my day, practice, practice, practice saying, if the Lord wills. This is my plan. I'm going to make plans, but I'm going to constantly commit back to Jesus. Not my will, but yours. But also, real quick, guys, the fact that you might face some turbulence or some opposition along the way is not an indication that you're in the wrong place at the, right time, or at the wrong time and it's time to jump ship. Look, look what he says there at the end. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? I've got this wide door. Effective ministry is open for me. Yet many oppose me. Now, wait a minute, Paul, if you're facing a bunch of opposition, usually if you face a bunch of turbulence, isn't that an indication, oh man, you got to make a change? No. Here's what Paul's saying. God has opened a door, incredible things going on, and there's opposition, and those things are going to be going on simultaneously. Those don't actually war against each other all the time. Some of the deepest, profoundest lessons, profoundest? Is that even a word? Scratch that, Whatever. The most profound things that I've learned in my Christian life have come to me at times where God led me to a certain place, and right alongside that, had me face some of the greatest turbulence of my life, and those things actually were intentionally in tandem together, right? Don't imagine that just because you're going through hard times, because things aren't going your way, that that means that you're off the will of God, or something's wrong, you Paul's like, hey, I'm going to stick around because God's clearly at work and I'm facing opposition. Guys, God's ways are not our ways and we need to release our lives to him and live open-handedly. Okay, let's look at the next thing that he hits us with. And I'm going to tell you what to look for as we go into this. Look at the difference between the way that he talks about Timothy and the way he talks about Apollos. Timothy and Apollos, because what I think he's going to be saying is, don't get attached to just one leader over another. Don't get fascinated by just following one leader over another. Here's what he says. Um, Hey, Corinthians, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, because he's doing the Lord's work, just as I am. So... Let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Oh, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brothers. Uh, actually, he wasn't at all willing to come to you now. However, he will come when he has opportunity. All right. You think, man, what are you getting out of that it just seems like such you know a a postscript on this letter No, no I think he's saying something really important maybe especially important to the evangelical world of 2021 I say that because we can get so fascinated and want to line up under like celebrity pastors or celebrity leaders and and just find ourselves gravitating toward this tribe Apparently, that was true in the first century, also, and he wants to war against that. Look at the difference in the way that he's talking about these guys. He has Timothy. We know a lot about Timothy. We are introduced to him in the book of Acts. He's peppered all the way through Paul's writings intentionally because he was such a central part of the ongoing movement of the Gospels. We've got two New Testament books with his name on them, because Paul wrote letters to him. We know a lot about Timothy. Here's what we know. A faithful man knew the scriptures from his infancy because he had such a godly mother and, got, and grandmother. And this guy was just an anchor for the church of God. And yet, apparently, the Corinthian church and many other Christians didn't think that much about him. He's having to coach them like, hey, treat him well. Why should he be fearful when he's with you? Set him on his way in peace. See, Timothy had a whole bunch to bring to the table, but he was a little bit timid. He was young, right? We learned some other stuff about him. And so I think there were Christians that kind of sniffed at him as opposed to Apollos. Apollos is like the prince of preachers, right? When we're introduced to him in the book of Acts, he was wowing the crowds. Even before he fully understood the gospel, he was able to gather crowds and wow them. Even more so when he fully got the gospel and was trained in the gospel. Then, so, wow, earlier, even in 1 Corinthians, we find out there's a whole group of people in the Corinthian church like, we're of Apollos. Bring us Apollos, right? We want that super preacher guy to come in. Well, look, look what Apollos is saying. Paul's going, look, I I know you've been, you know, chanting Apollos' name and trying to get Apollos. I tried to get him to come. Actually, he's, he's unwilling to come. Why do you think that is? Well, a hint of that came, I, because of this little text of Scripture, I picked up this little book called No Little People by Francis Schaeffer. He, th- this book is about 50 years old. Uh, he wrote, or not this particular one the, uh, the writing is about 50 years old I want to I point you to a couple things that Francis Schaeffer says that I think are really important so the first one is this he says this the central problem of our age is not liberalism not modernism not the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism not the threat of communism not the threat of rationalism not the monolithic consensus which surrounds us all these things are dangerous not the primary threat The real problem is this, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually, corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. You guys got some work to do in the church. And then later on, a couple pages later, he actually speaks directly to this idea of leaders. Here's what he says. Seeking that highest place is in direct contradiction to the teaching of the Lord. Christ instructed his disciples, but when you are bidden to a wedding feast, you go sit to the, in the lowest room. Look, if we're going to do the Lord's work and the Lord's way, we must take Jesus' teaching seriously. He does not want us to press onto the greatest place unless he himself makes it impossible to do otherwise. No, no, no. Taking the lower place in practical way, thus reflecting the mentality of Christ who humbled himself even to death on a cross should be a Christian's choice. A little bit later he said, to the extent we want power, we're in the flesh and the Holy Spirit has no part in us. Here's what I think happened with Apollos. Apollos caught wind that they were chanting his name and wanted him and he's like, you know what? I don't need that. More than that, I'd be a distraction to the church rather than a help to the church. How about you guys get that straightened out? And then I'd love to come and help. In fact, I think what what Apollos would say is, dude, you should take Timothy. I want to be discipled by Timothy, I think Apollos would be saying, right? I could gain a bunch from Timothy. Learn from him. So I'm just saying, guys, I think the Apostle Paul here... Francis Schaeffer, 50 years ago, is speaking to the church today. Guys, don't get enamored with the super apostles, <laughs> these singular people that you want to line yourself up with. In fact, instead, he's going to give us the alternate. I'm going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to come back to them, But I want you to look at verse 15, because here's what, another thing I think he's saying. Do instead, instead get attached to leaders who actually lead by example. Not just the ones that gather a crowd do get attached to leaders who lead by example. Look what he says in verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanas. They're the firstfruits of Achaia and they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. Oh, I urge you also to submit to such people, to everyone who works and labors with them. Man, I'm delighted to have Stephanas himself here for a while. I've got Fortunatus, Achaicus, present, because... Man, these men have made up for your absence and they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. Guys, we need to look around and find the faithful saints all around us. And they are all around Veritas Church who faithfully serve the saints. They faithfully serve, they're constantly helping others, constantly serving other people. Because, guys, just like the church in the first century, our church as well is full of farmers and educators and welders and pastors and teachers and city employees, rich people, poor people, bold people, timid people, but peppered throughout this whole varied church are households of Stephanas, just faithful people. Guys... I'm telling you, some of the most important lessons I've learned in my whole life of what it means to follow Christ have not come through celebrity pastors. They've come from some of the most simple people in my life who actually just showed me what it would look like to read my Bible every day, showed me what it would look like to give back to God, to, showed me what it looked like to raise children, to be a husband, whatever, It wasn't through these, you know, people under the spotlight. It was from the everyday people that we rub shoulders with. And I'm saying, here's what what he says. Recognize such people. Recognize them. I want to give you a challenge, guys. Please, please, please do this. I want you to think in your life, who is somebody who's actually made a really big impact on your life, maybe even by the example that they've shown you. And this week, tell them so okay? I'm begging you to do this. One day, those people are going to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. What I'm saying is, let them hear that from you this week. Please do that. Find those simple but profoundly impactful people in your life and tell them. Recognize such people. Okay, we skipped a couple verses. I want to hit those, and then we're almost done. Verse 13. He says this, because I think this is actually the final exhortation. This is actually the final exclamation point I think he has for the church. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. <laughs> the, the juxtaposition of those, it sounds like a military commander on the front end. You're Be alert. Stand firm. Be courageous. Right? In love. Guys... Um, Veritas Church, we live in Corinth, okay? I don't think Iowa City and Corinth have a whole lot of differences between them. What's going on morally? What's going on? Whatever. We're, but even more than that, we're a mess just like the Corinthian church was a mess, right? Look around. I'm not, I'm not accusing. I'm calling me one of you. I'm saying we're a royal mess. We're a hot mess, right, in the midst of a pretty dark place to live. It's going to take courage to be the kind of church that God is calling us to be. It's going to take standing firm to be the kind of church, to be the kind of people of God that needs to be. But I'm telling you, in all of our strength and courage and firmness, it's got to be wrapped in First Corinthians 13 kind of love, We can be strong and exude patience. We can be firm in faith and simultaneously known by the unbelievable kindness that we offer people. We can know what it is to courageously keep making steps of representing Christ, but keep in mind, oh wait, I can't be self-seeking because that's not love. Love is not self-seeking. Love seeks the better for others. Man, what a time to be that kind of church, the kind of church that exhibits strength and love in perfect harmony, right? Oh, may that be the kind of church that we are. Okay, let me just quickly fly us to the end, because the Church of Asia sends you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. That's pretty cool, because Aquila and Priscilla are from Corinth, actually. They're hometown people, so they know these guys. But apparently they've gotten on board with the mission of God. Now they're also living in Ephesus. And once again, they bought a house and they've opened it up and people are meeting there. Is it cool? It's like Clint Miranda. Pick them up and drop them in another city and they're going to do the same thing. Just be a light of the gospel, open their home. That's pretty cool. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wow. I don't know what you're going to do with that. No, just just (laughs) means treat each other like family. If you were in a Mediterranean culture, it would be a kiss on the cheek. If you were in Russia... It'd be man-to-man, kiss on the lips, right? You're not in Russia. Okay, so I'm just saying like, but be warm, be, be, be family, be, let people know that you're, you're together in a fellowship like this. This greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Oh, Lord, come. Maranatha is that word. Oh, Lord, come. Come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love, there it is, loving and My love be with all of you. In Christ Jesus. Guys, my time is up. Paul's book is up. Give faithfully. Is that what God's stirring? Give faithfully. Live open-handedly. Let him be the Lord of your life. Stop being the Lord of your life. Don't focus on one leader and, in fact, recognize the kind of people who are making a huge impact on your life and tell them so. And then be strong and courageous and firm, dripping in love. Let's do that, okay? Will you stand with me as we close off this book and commit it to Him as we pray together? So, Jesus. There is no way that we could do all that you're calling us to do if it weren't for the fact that you have offered to us the power of the resurrection, the power of eternal life. You actually have given us everything we need for life and godliness in the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection. So Jesus, I pray that you would give us courage. Don't let us slink away from what you're calling us to. Don't let us... In any way, pretend like we haven't heard what you've just said to us. And in fact, Lord, help us to live these words out to your honor, to your glory. That's what we commit ourselves to right now. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.